The following podcast was recorded on Tuesday, March 28, 2023, featuring Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at biancoresearch.com or arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Talking Data. I'm your host, Kristen Radish with Arbor Research and Trading, joined today by our commentator, Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for having me. Today, Jim answers the questions, what did we learn from the latest banking statistics? With the recent focus on bank deposits, the Fed's HA report is front and center of data to monitor. Jim, we wanna hear your thoughts on what takeaways we should learn from this report. Uh, to start us off, tell us about yield seekers and how technology has changed deposit behavior. Yeah, so just real quick, the H8 report is a, is a consolidated banking report where it's a balance sheet. It shows all the assets and the liabilities of all the banks in the United States, and they break it down, <laughs> excuse me, by large banks and by small banks, and it's updated every week. Um, what we're learning from that report, as you mentioned, is that people have become yield seekers. There was an old adage in banking that you were more likely to get divorced than you were to change your bank because people just kind of just sat there with their bank and whatever the bank charged you and or gave you in terms of your savings rate or an interest on your checking account. And by the way, people have mentioned this to me. Yes, your checking account can pay you an interest rate. The banks just decided not to do it. Um, and so that behavior, I think, has changed and it's changed quite a bit because of new technology, specifically mobile banking. Um, quick statistics for you. There's about 200 million smartphones in the United States. 67% of them, according to a survey done by the Federal Reserve, have downloaded a mobile banking app and have used it at least once a month. It's 120 million people that use, <laughs> excuse me, that use these apps regularly. Now, as far as uh, technology goes, as a preface, I think the thing that everybody gets wrong about technology is that when a new technology is introduced, like mobile banking, your initial response is, oh, so now I can be a little bit more incrementally productive. I could raise my margins a little bit. In the case of mobile banking, we could close some branch office, we could do some overhead because we'll shove everybody to these mobile apps and it'll save us a bunch of money. Yes, but what technology also does is it changes your business model and it changes your behavior of people. Uh, think about regenerative AI when people talk about, yeah, you have to incorporate regenerative AI to help in, in, increase the productivity of your company. No, actually it's going to obsolete your business model is what it's gonna wind up doing. And so this is what I think mobile banking has done uh, on the same side. The, the thing about mobile banking was we didn't notice for many years because interest rates were at zero, both your past, uh, your savings account, your checking account, and market-based rates. But as the Fed started aggressively raising rates, the yield seekers started to come out in full force. Uh, and that behavior is not going to be unlearned, and that behavior is only going to continue. So if we go to the first chart, <coughs> The blue line on this chart is, is the average money market mutual fund rate in the United States. 
And the orange line on this chart is the average bank deposit rate in the United States. And the red line below is the, the difference between the two. So people have pointed out, well, in 1998 and in 2006, we had widespreads between what banks were paying and what market rates were, but we didn't see giant movements of people from the bank. Yeah, because it was hard. In 1998, the, the way you, you had to move your money if you wanted to get a higher yield is you had to go to the bank, you had to take some time off of work, go to the bank, fill out a bunch of forms, wait two weeks, be told by the bank that you filled out some of the forms incorrectly, or maybe they did, refill out the forms, wait another week, go to a bank, open a new account, fill out those forms wrong, go back to the bank, refill out those forms correctly. Then once you've got that all signed up, they'll transfer the money and it takes a week and then you can invest it and it takes three days to settle on the investment. Wonder, you wonder why people were more likely to get divorced than switch their bank in 1998 or even in 2006. In 2006, seven and eight, we had the early lines of internet banking. That was when you logged on to your PC to do it. And if you are old enough to remember the early parts of internet anything, it always crashed, it was buggy, it had all kinds of problems. It was there, I was internet banking like everybody else in 2006, but it isn't what it is today. <laughs> so when you fast forward to the end of the chart <laughs> and you see four and a half percent on the money market rate and 50 basis points on the deposit rate, now people have noticed. And that's new in the last year because as it's noted on the chart one year ago, the, the, the spread was zero, the rates were zero and the difference between them was zero. And now they've got these mobile banking apps that can take advantage of it. So if we go to the next chart, the next chart shows, this is a breakdown of deposits from the H8 report. And this is the analysis that most people have done with this report and then kind of ended there. The orange line shows with a uh, total level of deposits in small banks. So, um, large banks is blue. Large banks is every is the top 25 banks. And by the way, Silicon Valley Bank was a top 25 bank. And small banks is everybody else. Signature Bank was the 29th largest bank. So it was one of the largest small banks in the country. And what it shows is what we sort of suspected. A big outflow of $120 billion came out of um, the small banks and about $108 billion went into the large banks. So there was a net outflow of around $12 billion. And people looked at this and said, okay, that's kind of what we expected. That's it, that's the end of the story. But if you go to the next chart, I think they're missing the bigger story. <coughs> this chart, the purple line on the top, which goes back to 1980, so 43 years of data, shows the total deposits in the banking system. And the red part on the, on the bottom half shows you the drawdown, how far off of the all-time peak are we in total deposits. Now, you, what jumps out on the chart is in the middle, that's October 17th, 2001, and I put a little note on it, drawdown driven by blockage in payments and transfers due to 9-11 infrastructure damage. So you had a big drawdown in banks because a lot of banks were headquartered in the World Trade Center. The famous story about you know, a disaster recovery, which is now a Harvard business case, is Bank of New York Mellon had their headquarters where they did all of their, all of their um, money transfers in a building a block away from the new, uh, World Trade Center. So when the towers came down, their building was damaged. Not to worry, 
they had a second building that was a complete redundancy in case they had a problem with their first building. It was 150 yards away. And it also got damaged as well, too. Um, the reason they did that was, in the case of disaster recovery, they didn't think that all of lower Manhattan would be damaged. They thought, we want to make sure that everybody can just take the same commute every day and just go to a different building. That Obviously, that thinking has been rethought because of 2001, but it caused that big drawdown. Now, so if you exclude that because it was, a, it was an infrastructure issue, what you're seeing now is the biggest drawdown in almost half a century <coughs> in the banking system. Something like 4% of the money has been come out of the banking system. And what I've noted on the chart there is March 8th. That was the day Silvergate Bank failed and two days before Signature bailed. You still had the biggest drawdown in 43 years after that. So you've seen a big bleed out of the bank. So if we go to the next chart, the next chart um, shows you the, um, this is what's called other deposits. Other deposits is total deposits less large time deposits. I'll show large time deposits in a second. That's jumbo CDs. That's over $100,000. And you put your money into um, an account for a fixed period of time, like three months for a CD. <clears throat> Small, other deposits is everything else. That has been coming out. The bottom panel shows a five-week average. It has been accelerating out since January. Or since we pretty much crossed 4%, the money has been accelerating out. Now, where's it going? If we go to the next chart, this shows you large time deposits. That's that jumbo CD. It's been accelerating higher. People have been basically calling their bank and saying, I don't want zero. I'm going to leave and go to a money market. And the bank's been saying, hold on. We have this jumbo CD. Tie your money up for three months and we'll give you a much higher interest rate. And they said, okay, done. And you can see that jumbo CDs since October, November, the total amount has jumped by about 25% from somewhere around $750 billion to a $1 trillion has jumped into those accounts. We jump to the next chart. Uh, this shows um, on the top panel, it shows in green um, the average yield of a money market rate, uh, fund and in orange, the three-month T-bill, which is essentially the same thing. And the middle panel shows you the total assets in money market funds which just jumped over $5 trillion. And the bottom panel shows you the cumulative flow. And I wanna point out uh, the cumulative flow. Now this chart starts in March of 22, when we had zero rates. From March of 22 to November, there was hardly any inflow into <coughs> money market funds. $62 billion in total over, 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 over six months or seven months. That's not a whole lot of, of, of anything. Um, this was, Bankers telling you by around Thanksgiving, yes, nobody moves. They would rather get divorced and change their bank account. Then as rates started to cross above 4%, we saw $143 billion come in in a couple of weeks between 4 and 4.5%. Then when they crossed above 4.5%, we saw $80 billion fly in in just a few weeks, and we saw 250 come in in just the last two weeks. So my point is, as the rates have been getting higher and higher and higher, People have been reaching into their pocket, they've been pulling out their phone, and they've been putting their money into, um, into money market funds, uh, into T-bills, and into FinTech, into jumbo CDs, or anything else. This has been going on for weeks. This has been the bleed of deposits. This is um, 
the problem that I think got in the way of Silicon Valley Bank. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, Silvergate Bank, they all three banks failed within five days of each other. They were in crypto, they were in tech. They were in the shakiest parts of the economy. They were seeing deposit withdrawals. People were afraid of crypto at Silvergate and Signature. And there was some crypto at, at Silicon Valley Bank too. And there was also withdrawals because of uh, the burn rate of a lot of uh, startup companies. So VCs uh, fund a startup, they put their money in Silicon Valley Bank, they draw down their bank account uh, you know, pretty much every month to continue to pay because they're running at a loss. But because the tech market has been so weak, there was no Series B or Series C, <coughs> which is just the second or third capital raise to replenish the account. All three banks, they all knew this. They all knew this was happening. They all, I believe, were managing this decline. They were all flying very close to the sun. It's a difficult thing to manage this decline. What they didn't anticipate was over here in the left corner, out of nowhere was the yield seekers jumped on their phones above 4% and they started pulling money out of their accounts too. Now you pushed me into the sun and the wing, you know, Icarus, their wings started to burn. So Silicon Valley Bank sold a bunch of securities to raise cash to meet these withdrawals, and had to realize a loss of $1.8 billion with that sale because they uh, their securities were underwater because of the big rise in interest rates. They did not think, this is again my supposition, they were being advised by Goldman Sachs and I don't think any of them thought, man, if we do this, this bank will collapse in 36 hours. They thought they'd do it. The stock would have a, a terrible day, maybe be down 15%, I'm guessing here. And we would get through it. We would raise the capital raise. And by the end of the year, it'll all be fine. They had no idea that if they announced that in this environment, the stock would be down 61%. Peter Thiel would tell all the, all the startups that founders his company has funded to pull all their money out of the bank. And it would be basically taken over by the FDIC the next day. Uh, so this all caught everybody by surprise. Yes. They were operating near the sun. But you know what? There's 4,000 banks in the United States. Some of those banks are operating near the sun. Others are not. So when you stress the system by raising rates 500 basis points, the weakest ones are going to fail. And that's exactly what we've seen. But keep in mind what I think the catalyst of all of this was. Yield seekers looking for better returns. That has been going on since 4%, that has been accelerating since January. It's not going to stop next week unless banks raise their deposit rates. And the, if they raise their deposit rates, it kills their profitability. Um, yes, we might not see a massive outflow next week or the week after that would cause another bank, like a First Republic, to go into FDIC receivership. But at the end of the day, and I just looked this up right before we started on this call, First Republic is still offering 1.5% interest rates. So why are you sticking around with a shaky bank that's giving you 1.5% when you can pull your phone out in five minutes, you can move to a, a, a brokerage account and a money market fund and get 450 or 475. And if you are, and by the way, First Republic is offering 1.5% on business accounts of more than $5 million. So if you've got more than $5 million as a business account, why are you taking $150,000 a year in returns from somebody like um, 
uh, or substitute $75,000 a year of interest income on your $5 million when you could be getting $250,000 a year if you move to a, a money market account in five minutes. That's on $5 million. So five minutes of your time and you can pick up another $175,000 of interest income on a $5 million account. Uh, more and more people are going to continue to do this. <laughs> I think as we can as we move forward until that spread between market rates and deposit rates closes. Uh, and that could close either with the Fed cutting rates or that could close with them raising deposit rates. More importantly, getting back before we talk about uh, bank borrowings and cash and how that plays in, more importantly, this technology, mobile banking, did more than just create incremental productivity improvements. It changed the business model of deposit behavior. These banks, I believe, do not understand deposit behavior. No one does. It's new. And now that they cannot be confident of their deposits, whether they're leaving or coming or why, or how they would tweak their deposit rates to change their deposit um, levels, they're probably going to on the asset, that's on the liability side of the bank. On the asset side of the bank, which is their loans, they're probably gonna start pulling back on lending. That's a credit crunch. That could severely impact the economy. And that's why you've seen such wild movements in interest rates. Because if we are gonna have a credit crunch, that changes everything for the economy to the worst. And that's why you've seen a 100 basis point fall in the two-year note. And you've seen a massive steepening of the yield curve because it is anticipating, you know what? This is about yield seekers. This isn't about a panic that my bank is gonna fail because once that panic subsides, yield seekers are still gonna be pulling money out week after week after week and going to higher yield alternatives. And the banks are gonna be saying, I, I can't keep handing out loans because I don't know what my deposit base is doing anymore. And this could have a profound impact on the economy. 